This is the fear of science. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Fear of Science, the show that dives into the wide world of sciences and the topics to demystify, debunk, and delight. Each show features a new science and science-adjacent fear with special guests and surprises and discoveries along the way. My name is Daniel Chai. I'm Jeff Porter. And uh, tonight we have a couple of really interesting guests with us. I'll get both of you to introduce yourselves. I'm Parker McLean. I'm a designer and strategist in Vancouver, BC. I am highly empathic. I have a lot of feelings and I also have a lot of opinions and I'm happy to be here today. Nice. My name is Stevie Tuyen Nguyen. I use they, them pronouns. I am very occupied lately with thinking about how teams of designers work together and about how to raise children and mm. how to get them to eat healthy foods. <laughs> yeah. uh, Stevie and I are taking over and making this episode about the fear of nutrition. <laughs> Welcome guests. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a... each one of these topics could be its own uh, episode. Right. Yeah. yeah right. Well, yeah. when the qualification is science-adjacent fears, Absolutely. you have quite a bit. <laughs> this is just going to turn into a brainstorming session. Right? <laughs> yeah. How do you put green things and brown things inside red and orange and white and yellow things that children like to eat. Oh, mm. oh interesting. <laughs> wow. That's totally not our subject tonight. <laughs> we can segue. So tonight we're actually doing something uh, a bit different um, where this episode is going to be called Fear of Change. Um, and I want to do this as a, a continuous series of just having really interesting people that are really making change in this world or trying to make change in this world um, and talk about the change that needs to happen. Um, so yeah, I've invited both of you on the show tonight to talk about that. So it's a little bit more of a free-flowing conversation than normal, since it is so open. Um, and so normally with more kind of sensitive subjects or difficult subjects to talk about, I tend to meet with our guests beforehand, um, or at least email back and forth. So we had a great lunch uh, a couple weeks ago. It was a great lunch. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. And originally the episode was going to be called Fear of Diversity. Mm -hmm. um, but both of you um, mentioned that diversity is not necessarily what you think the root cause of the problem is, and you both um, expressed an interest in more talking about fear of change, which I thought was amazing. Mm. Um, would you like to ex expand more on that? That's an interesting question, Jeff. I, I think that when we did meet for lunch, we talked about the fear of diversity. I, I was so amped up on, on how to answer that question that I actually found that I had no answers at all for you. Mm. And that's a really interesting thing to happen, especially when you're trying to perform in this kind of space where, where you're meant to have big ideas and you're meant to really think about stuff. The fear of diversity is something that I don't feel like I have a personal um, stake in. I, I think that other people are doing work around diversity and, and it's time for people who are white cis guys to step aside in that regard. Right. And so my response to you was more conditioned on the fact that I don't think that we should be talking about diversity at all. Mm -hmm. rather than it's not a topic worth talking. So I look forward to you producing that episode sometime in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was my personal reason for, for not wanting to engage in that. Right. And that right. I don't think that I, with the privilege set that I do have, am the person to answer those questions. Right, 
Right, right. But I'd be curious about like how Stevie's experience of that is yeah. as well. Interesting, as I was listening to you share your response to that, mm. I was thinking just off the top of my head about this weekend, my partner and I were in the Okanagan. Mm. Um, I went wine tasting for the first time. Oh my gosh. I felt very luxurious and sophisticated. <laughs> it was wonderful. Did you spit it out? I did not. Uh. I actually like, <laughs> I very kind of like shamefacedly like poured it in because I was also the driver. Um, but I was thinking like we, st- we um, on our way there, we, we stopped at Winners because I had a gift card in Chilliwack. <laughs> And in addition to finding out that Chilliwack has a lot of really great stuff at Winners, um, we, my partner is a femme brown woman of color, and I'm a non-binary, non-black Asian person of color. And we like normally in this in the city, we walk around holding hands. And so we had this moment of getting out of the car and looking around and just being like, I mean, it's Chilliwack, it's only, so far from from this city, but we said, "I let's, let's not maybe hold hands." And I, mm-hmm. um, that that just all of a sudden that came to mind as you were talking mm-hmm. about fear diversity. I'm like, that's actually that was that was our fear of people who fear diversity. Mm-hmm. But going back to why we changed the title and why I proposed changing the title is because I don't think people necessarily fear diversity in that moment people weren't afraid of us mm-hmm. but some of the experiences we've had is people being afraid of their children seeing right. us holding hands because that means that maybe them as parents need to have conversations with their children around why we were doing that right and for having to do that forces them to change the way they parent change their children's mindsets around what relationships can look like and who you can be in relationship with so I don't think it's people fear diversity as much as they fear the work of having right. to change right. something. Mm-hmm. And as I was telling Parker earlier, I think if you are introduced to a new perspective or a new idea, new meaning you've never held it before, didn't, couldn't conceive of it, then you might need to do something different. Mm-hmm. Either that, or you have to deal with the guilt of not doing something different. And sometimes it's easier just to be ignorant. So if you don't expose yourself to those new ideas, then you never have to deal with the guilt of not doing it. Or yeah, you just never mm-hmm. have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's what people are afraid of. Like, yeah. there's enough mm-hmm. work in the world. I don't need more work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's and, interesting. I, like, uh, sorry, Jeff. Oh no. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, I'm really compelled by by the idea that you've zeroed in on the ways that it's not necessarily that on an individual level people are tentative to make change, but at a systemic level, it's very difficult to be the activator for that change. It's difficult for people to accept that they might need to change the way they're raising their children or change the way they're talking to their communities mm-hmm. because that's more of an action and less of an adjustment. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm interested in that, that nuance because I think that we use the one word change to describe so many different stages of what change really is. Yeah. And I, I'm curious about the, the ways that traction can be found or lost based on the way we're defining change for any audience we're trying to really compel. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are just not wanting to change. They've got the ego 
of I am already at my ultimate amazingness yeah. with everything that I think and everyone should think the same way I do. Yeah. Why would I change because the world's changing around me? Yeah. I'm I'm curious about that. Like like make America great again is, yeah. is something that is forefront of all of our minds. Um just to say the thing, Octavia Butler wrote that 20 years ago before it was ever a campaign slogan for Donald Trump. Uh, and she wrote it satirically to describe a, a political candidate who is running this folly campaign mm -hmm. around making America one thing. Mm -hmm. And then 20 years later, Donald Trump used it. And, and, and that's a challenging situation, but I'm tangentially referencing yeah. in order to make the point that like maybe sometimes the reason that people are afraid of change is because there's this nostalgic uh, mm -hmm. starting point at some point in the past that they're afraid to Mm -hmm. um, move too far away from. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so there's this sort of unicorn-like uh, past that people are trying to get back to. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. It's less about being resistant to the dynamism of life and more about wanting to move backwards through it. And yeah. if you're benefiting from the way things are, then why change? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, totally. that's exactly what I was thinking too. Yeah. Is that for me, I think back on my past and I think of when I was a kid in the 90s. And yeah, there's nostalgia there. Mm. Um, there's playing Super Nintendo and, and all those good times. But on the other hand, I had a horrible time growing up. Mm. I was bullied a lot in high school. So that those warm, fuzzy feelings from the past are there to an extent, but there's also a lot of negative feelings as well. Mm. So when I see things change, I'm excited about it. Mm. I, I want things to change. I don't want people to go through the same thing I went to, through when I was younger. Mm. Um, but people who have lived a very cookie-cutter happy life, mm -hmm. um, it's it's harder for them. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Everything was built for them. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, you know, I got my, my house, my white picket fence, and my big truck. Yeah. Everything is going great. Why do I have to think like everybody else? Oh. Fear of loss. Yeah, the fear of loss. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I think that like we as a species have really difficult times moving from stage to stage. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes we're really aware of when we're moving from one time to another, like a college graduation can be a time or, or getting married can be a time. But uh, the idea that, that we could be moving change without even meaning to I think is terrifying to many individuals. Yeah, yeah. I am reminded of this this study, and I can't remember the researchers' names, but it was out of Harvard uh, just a couple years ago, and they surveyed 19,000 Americans at different stages of their lives regarding if they agree that they have changed significantly in the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. And a staggering majority do. And I think all of us in this room can agree that in the past 10 years, we probably look a little better and we have <laughs> nicer glasses, but also our ethics and our heart have developed as well. Mm -hmm. The same 19,000 people were asked about their likelihood to change in the next mm -hmm. 10 years, and a staggering majority rated that likelihood as very low. So the end of history illusion these researchers put forward is this this idea that right now is the watershed moment of our identities, that right now is the most realized we will ever be. And our ability to model change for ourselves into the future is difficult at a biological, but also a very systemic level. Well, it's hard to, if you don't know the future as well, it's hard to say, oh, yeah, I'm totally willing to change this if you do. Everyone's got that kind of like, oh, crap. Like even when we did um, uh, Fear of Climate Change and we had Curtis on, he was talking about how um, everybody needs to cut down on meat mm -hmm. in order to, to make really sufficient uh, climate change. And uh, 
my first thought was, oh, but I like meat. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to stop eating it. <laughs> and I think everybody has that to a small extent that um, they don't want to change. They get into a routine. They get into their life. Like, you know, I, I went to work. I came home. I watched Netflix. I went to work, came home, watched Netflix. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to break out of that um, on your own. Mm-hmm. And there was work for you to get to where you are. Right. Mm-hmm. There was perhaps change that forced you to, or change that you willingly worked towards. But either way, it took work to get there. Now you're saying like, nope, you thought you reached it, but no, there's more. <laughs> you yeah. were wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, I'm reminded of uh, that Fleetwood Mac song, Dreams, where Stevie Nicks talks about how she has her crystal visions, but she keeps them to herself. Mm-hmm. And, and we all have these maybe soft or, or unwritten ideas about where we're going in our lives. But how often do we sit down and like make a five and ten year vision for ourselves? Right. Not to talk about career and not to talk about mortgages, Jeez Louise, what could be more uninteresting? But instead to talk about like what personality skills you want to be learning about or how you want to learn how to love in a different way or yeah. what your relationship is to monogamy or whatever, like whatever the Very work true. is you want to be doing. After all, Stephen Nicks also told us in that song, players only love you when they're playing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sometimes it takes uh, an outside force or Stevie Nicks to give us the boot in the pants to uh, make us go, oh, okay, this is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Just a point, I don't know enough Stevie Nicks lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Stevie and everyone's like, Stevie like Stevie Nicks. I'm like, I've never put that together until right now. Can you imagine if you only like the music of your name? Parker Lewis, Can't Lose would be the only thing I'd ever be able to reference for the rest of my life. Now, uh, a, a question for you, Jeff. Uh, what inspired you for uh, for this topic? This topic uh, already uh, a fascinating conversation. It's already in like ten different directions. Um, what what is it that uh, inspired you uh, to to bring this to the fear of science pantheon? I think a lot of it was we've had a lot of really great episodes lately that kind of the conclusion we've come to in the end is that people need to change and that <laughs> every single every single one except except for that fear of spiders one i think that one's pretty pretty yeah. open-ended fear of zombies as well everyone is okay there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh when we did fear of masculinity mm. uh fear of sexuality mm. um a large amount of it was that society itself is having trouble changing and accepting how a large amount of of people are are changing in general um so i thought let's just more talk about change period mm, and what needs great. to change and that's my next question what do we think needs to change oh. <laughs> for there's so many what <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's like, a category on jeopardy that we yeah. just do not get touched <laughs> until the end game and then the little boop boop boop, boop would come and no change? one would have to answer it <laughs> uh, well i mean like you know uh, you, you know tying back into the world of pop music uh you know change has always been something that uh that even you know musicians and some of the biggest songs in the world talk about alash all crows change a change oh, so will you do you good. David Bowie. Oh, right. Oh, David Bowie, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, which means that, you know, uh, uh, this is something that, you know, I think everyone in in history or within our generalized history, you know, tries to think about. So that is a big, hard question. Yeah, just the easy ones uh, yeah. tonight. Yeah. <laughs> do you mean for like ourselves, the world? Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, isn't that an interesting distinction you make in that, like, when Me or them. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, Dr. Sharon Blackie is a neuroscientist in Ireland, and, and she also runs a school for meditation. Very interesting woman. Uh, and she wrote The Enchanted Life last year, and in it she talks about how uh, for any sort of change to happen, it has to come from within ourselves because at a grassroots level, change is about people coming together who have shared values. Mm -hmm. And if you don't start inside, how are you ever going to find those people? And so when I first heard this question just a minute ago about like, what would I want to change? I have no idea, Jeff Porter. <laughs> I have no idea. Because I think that the stuff that's changing inside me is going to be the stuff that I change outside of me as well. Mm -hmm. And so maybe my way of answering that question is like, I don't know, body positivity and cutting down on slut shaming and figuring out how to believe male survivors as well. And, and all of the things that I'm doing on a personal level are probably the things in 10 years that will be the radical changes that I identify with. Mm -hmm. right. But right now it's so hard to tell because they're still inside the toothpaste tube and I haven't squirted that out onto my brush yet yeah we'll give you time at the end of the episode yeah stay tuned audience <laughs> radical changes coming to you I think the question was big because for me the answer is too simply oversimplified systemic change but when I think about that question it's like <gasps> And I think about, okay, so how has my knowledge of the fact that there needs to be systemic change actually affected? Well, how has it changed my actions? Mm -hmm. And like, what have I consciously started to try to change? And like, Parker, I really appreciate your example of saying like body positivity. So for me, like one of the things that I've been trying to work on is my, my own fat phobia. Um, I think that's gonna be, if I can change how I feel about myself and my body, it can change it can affect how I treat people in my life like my relationships and the language that I use mm. um, if I can do better at actually actively talking about the ways in which we live on uns the unceded traditional lands of the Coast Salish people the Musqueam the Squamish and the Tsleil-Waututh peoples then maybe that can begin to also affect the like the way I buy things like am I looking at like, where am I purchasing things from? Do I need to purchase this thing? And then who who benefits and who profits from that? Um, but I, I'm with you. I think it's individual. And I think we each have a responsibility, like choose a thing that we know that we need to work on mm -hmm. and work on changing that. Well, like, what is it that Michael Pollan says in, in um, Cooked? He, he talks about how, like, food is great because you get three votes a day. Right, like, like you get to make a decision about what you eat three times a day, if not more, right? Yeah. And like, like every one of them has the potential to change the world. Mm -hmm. But like, like change really does happen on a meal by meal basis, in, in that example. But like in a day by day or email by email basis. Mm -hmm. uh, I think once we start, if we look at changing the world, mm -hmm. it's such a massive, daunting task. Mm -hmm. How do you change the world? Mm -hmm. and I think by starting with yourself and mm -hmm. and learning to change yourself and be open yes. and, and have great conversations like this with people, yes. mm -hmm. um, everybody doing that will change the world. Yes. Yeah, for sure. The like, he goes on to say that like the the challenge is to like change the system before it changes you right mm -hmm. like like the world is gonna change you no matter what you have to say about it mm -hmm. and the trick is to beat it to the punch yeah. right mm -hmm. <laughs> but the world is so big 
I'm so weak. <laughs> you can do it, Daniel. <laughs> Listeners, he's crying at the moment. Thank you, Republic of So, uh, uh, for for ourselves, you know, uh, so um, as well as having all these big, big uh, world changing thoughts, and again realizing and noticing that okay, we need to make these changes for ourselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe is it is it a back to basics, right? I mean, um, uh, mm-hmm. I also am curious about like you know being in in where we are in history, where uh, all of mankind's humankind's knowledge is on our phones that is in our pockets and uh you know there's so much knowledge and ability to learn how to change and yet we talk about still change is very difficult and very hard and we do want to eat those those burgers we do have those inner things that we need to change um yeah how how do we reconcile the fact that you know we do have all this information but maybe some people just don't want to change is that is that bad that sounds bad <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, um, let me try to understand. So, mm-hmm. you're asking, is it okay if some people don't want to change? Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Be, I guess being, you know, a bit of the devil's advocate. Yeah. You know, if people who are like, you know, yeah. uh, I've I've been working hard. You know, uh, I leave uh, as best as uh, life as I can. Mm-hmm. I go to work. I come home. I take care of my my kids. I don't want to change anything else about me. You know, because I'm this is you know who I am. This is the watershed mark. I don't want to change in the next ten years because I put in my work. This is this is me. I'm. Uh, and I'm proud of me. Is that, mm. yeah, is that okay? This is my own personal opinion. Yes. Uh, but I think it's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get him. Uh, That's right, listeners. Yeah. I'm Jeff Porter. No, I think, yeah, if you get into that rut, mm-hmm. uh, to me, that sounds like a rut. That sounds right. like you think you've figured everything out right and this is now your trajectory for life nothing's gonna change your mind Mm -hmm. i think that's bullshit i think that you need to you need to talk to other people you need to learn other people's perspective Mm -hmm. you need to stay open-minded right um you need to grow Mm. that just sounds like someone who's not growing I'm interested in that. I think that if you mm. interviewed those people, they would say they are. Mm. I think that, I mean, I'm reminded of a few years ago, I, I had to take the SkyTrain out to an unnamed suburb. Uh, <laughs> to, <laughs> Listeners from around the world, there are only a few suburbs that have SkyTrains. <laughs> Look at a Google map of Angola. Parker yeah. trying to play nice. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Hello, listeners yeah. from Surrey. I yeah. see you. Uh, I had to take a train out to an unnamed suburb uh, to look for a loved one. Uh, a loved one had gone missing. And her ability set is different. And so was unable to reach out to us to let her know where she was, uh, let us know where she was. And so I got on a SkyTrain and went to this other place. And in my day-to-day life, I, I dress however I want to. I don't even think twice about how I want to present. And, and I'm a queer femme-identifying individual, so I was wearing something particularly Nelly that day and got on the train and very quickly encountered these people who maybe haven't 
taken up the baton of queer rights or, or, or very quickly encountered people who maybe are changing in an opposite direction mm. and had to really reconcile the, the ways that I was not only wearing my identity, but confronting people on their own turf with the way that I had changed in a way that was divergent from their own. Mm-hmm. And that was very challenging on a personal level because I haven't been femme shamed in a long time in downtown Vancouver. Right. But when you're somewhere else, that changes very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm interested in the ways that like we can perceive change mm-hmm. and the ways that that is not always representative of change that is actually happening. Mm-hmm. I, I offer a perspective in which I think there are many people who... Well, in terms of when we talk about diversity, and I think we've all been talking about diversity in a way that hasn't been explicitly said in which we're like, we're all for (laughs) increased diversity. Yes. (laughs) To be clear. (laughs) We are all here for diversity. Yes. For increased representation, increased opportunities, fairness for like multiple ways of people existing. I don't think everyone is there, and I and I think not everyone will get there unless it's personal. Mm-hmm. Yes. One of the things that like that always comes to mind for me is the number of missing and murdered indig- indigenous women that disappeared from this documentary that I initially had watched from the Highway of Tears, and how so many people in these indigenous communities had reached out to the police and had said like our daughters our mothers our sisters our aunts are all missing and nothing was done until one white girl went missing and then there was a search and that's when kind of things maybe started changing a little bit and until something feels personal to someone until someone loves somebody that is affected directly by something it doesn't change so I don't know my my optimistic perspective in life is like try to get as many people as possible to love you and love as many people as possible Um, because I think that's the only way to get people to change when they actually feel invested Mm because otherwise there's no reason there's why why would you change if it doesn't affect you if it's only gonna benefit other people I think that's in, that's in, I, I think that that's inspiring, you know, because uh, I think that's hopefully it's an inspiring challenge for people to get invested, right? You know, um, you know whether it's, uh, you know, whether talking about climate change and people getting invested in the the Amazon fires, mm-hmm. you know, or uh, or people being invested in the cathedral fire in, in France, <laughs> uh, lots of fires. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but you know, but but in both cases, they were huge news because people felt a personal stake and an investment. Um, and so, if there's a way to do that in issues and topics closer to home, mm-hmm. great, mm-hmm. awesome. Now, how do we do that? Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back really quickly to what Jeff had said in the very beginning, where like if you have the if you like if you are a queer closeted person, having that courage to be out. Uh, in, in in whatever way you need to be in order to be safe, of course, but having that courage, sometimes maybe hopefully the people around you who love you are able to be like, oh, may- maybe, maybe queerness isn't this terrible mm-hmm. devil worship. Worship. 
<laughs> Sometimes it is devilish. Yeah. So I think like I think that's it. It's when people have the courage to be themselves if they are in some way divergent from the norm, and then like having the curiosity to actually then do the research to learn more and then educate others and then show up and speak up. And when you see these incidences, like if you're just a, if you are a progressive person who's been educating yourself on anti-blackness and racism, when you see it happen, like, do you have the courage, even in those little instances and in that little word that someone said, do you have the courage to actually speak up and say something? Mm. Because until you do, you're going to rely on every person in that room to actually have maybe educated themselves as well. But mm. you are the person that's one step further that you can take everybody in that room maybe one step further as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I am so on the same page. I, the put up or show up. Um, what is that? Put up or shut up? That's what I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> put up, show up put sound up show awful up. similar. Uh, I really believe in like put up or shut up uh, with respect to activating change. I am a white cis guy, uh, and so many of my brothers are talking about change but not actually affecting it, <laughs> and talking about how great it would be to move the needle on X, Y, or Z in any small way. Yeah. And they're celebrated and lauded for those theorizations. Mm -hmm. But outside of this very specific demographic, there are countless other minorities who are actually doing real work and actually taking to the streets and actually having hard conversations and actually volunteering that are doing real things with their time. Yes. Yeah. And nobody's awarding those people. Nobody's putting on the cover of BC Business. Nobody's mm -hmm. doing that work. Mm -hmm. And it's heartbreaking. It, it is so difficult to, to watch that happen and, and also have my hands tied. Because right. as I said earlier, like I don't think that I'm the person to talk about diversity because I'm a white guy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like it is not me that is being challenged by that right now. But then your job is to amplify the work that is being done. So I think... I don't think so. I think really? it's my job to step aside. But if but if thing, if work is being done, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I love this. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, that's good. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I think if, there, if you know that work is being done, huh? you as a white guy yeah. have more visibility. And it's not about like taking up the space of saying like here's an idea mm -hmm. and like taking that idea or taking credit for that mm -hmm. or taking credit for the learning mm -hmm. it's to say this person like here's this person and they're doing this work and of course mm -hmm. this also requires like getting consent from them mm -hmm. like i've learned a lot from you yeah may i share this I think that's really interesting. I, this brings up a whole conversation about the culture of consent, and I think that's a great episode. Uh, just a suggestion. Fear of <laughs> yeah, fear of consent is a very interesting topic. Ooh, yeah. But I'll zero back to what I was yeah. saying, that with respect to getting the consent of the people who are doing the work, I don't think that many of my uh, peers in the same demographic do ask for permission or do ask for blessing before propping up somebody who might be making a change. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people in my position would use interesting community work and interesting radical work mm -hmm. to prop up their own platforms by making an easy share on LinkedIn mm -hmm. or, or you know, using the hands clapping emoji or like, like really like yeah. uh, digging deep to show support. It means nothing, right? Yeah, it's true. Oh, I had this tangential... It's a lighter topic. Yeah, hit it. <laughs> I am sweating right now. I'm, well, I'm Vietnamese, and I love Vietnamese desserts, particularly one called gaya, which is like often coconut or cream-based with like fruit in it and like nuts or beans. 
I love it. Sounds awesome. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You should all try it, especially Ge Bao Mao or Ge Dai. Um, there's a place in my neighborhood, and my partner and I went there last night because it's one of my favorite places. And we're sitting there and we're like, wow, like everybody around here, we're watching people come in and they're young people and they're Vietnamese people coming in being like, hey, oh my, like excited to see you. And they're speaking Vietnamese to each other and the signage is written Vietnamese and there's also English. And, but we're looking around and we're like, you know a Vietnamese place when you like notice a certain color of color of paint on the walls is like <laughs> a certain tone. And there's always typically some sort of plastic fruit or flower. But we were talking about how like this place is so good, but do we tell people about this? Like, mm. there's this aspect of if I met another Vietnamese person, like I really want to tell them. But if I went and just posted on Yelp, or mm. I just went and I told told Twitter, it wouldn't be long before this space was filled up with people who aren't there to connect to the culture, to the food, who mm. would then actually take up space mm. that prevents mm. the people who need access to that. Mm. Mm. So it depends on how you're sharing and why you're sharing, yeah. and if you're sharing it to actually like to just like make yourself look cool, mm -hmm. that you have access to this knowledge, or if you're actually sharing it in a way that is more critical. That's yeah. interesting. You know, just to acknowledge uh, a little bit of humility, I'm sure that I post stuff <laughs> all the time <laughs> that I'm not doing enough to actually action. Yeah, so I just want to express too. a little bit of self-compassion in that like this does happen. Even yeah. when you're doing your best work, it does happen that you don't actually follow through on on, on what you've said that you're committed to. Yeah. yeah. But I, yeah, Jeff, I was I was just going to say as well, I think it's also realizing that it's, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. It's a difficult thing to do to to really think about multiple perspectives mm -hmm. when you're doing something that might just be as simple as just sharing a restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you have to allow yourself to mess up mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, I had recently um, a friend of mine is transitioning right now and they're struggling a lot with um, another friend of ours using the wrong pronoun. Mm -hmm. And my first thought was as a friend, I should be talking to my friend that's having trouble with the pronoun and tell him that you're using the wrong pronoun mm -hmm. and fight for my friend. Mm -hmm. But when I was about to do that, I realized, no, I should really be talking to my friend who's in the process of transitioning and make sure it's okay with her, with her mm -hmm. that I'm doing this mm -hmm. um, or make sure that I'm not taking away her voice mm -hmm. um, in case she wanted to do that herself. Mm -hmm. um, so I think situationally, and if I would have talked to my friend um, who was having trouble with pronouns and I fought for her, um, it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still respecting my friend mm -hmm. and, and helping out, but I think it's really thinking about those two sides of it mm. as well, which is difficult for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm saying I'm so much better. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like our personal psychologies are intrinsically personal, right? Yeah. I see through my eyes <laughs> and I see through my brain and I see through my ears as well. So I, I'm constantly contextualizing the world around me from my experience. I'm the narrator. Yes. And so my point of view is, is very much that I'm doing great work and like, don't stop, don't change, keep going. Yeah. But I'm sure that there are all sorts of aggressions that I'm enacting every day that I'm completely unaware of. Yeah. And maybe it's about balancing the scales of impact at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's about making an impact where you can and accepting that you're probably screwing up other people's impact along the way. 
mm-hmm. and, and that's just part of what it is to be a collective culture. Mm-hmm. And communication, it really is. It's communication where if you're not feeling comfortable and you know if someone uses the pro- wrong pronoun, or for me, my really bad one is I always say, hey guys, or I use guys, and I'm really trying to change that right now, but it slips out all of the time. Um, but if someone's uncomfortable with that, um, just to have an honest conversation and mm. just, you know, try to correct yourself. Mm. Jeff Porter bringing families together. <laughs> Changing the world. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> I, uh, do you know what's a, l- a lovely thing that's happening right now is Marianne Williamson's uh, candidacy for the Democratic primary in the United States. Mm. And Marianne Williamson is a, a cultural icon from the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, who spoke a lot about A Course in Miracles, a sort of um, public-facing text on, on how to live mindfully and, and from a place of love. And the way that she's using America's time to talk about how love is the answer to all of these problems that we're having is being lampooned by many. But I think that there's a real opportunity for consciousness available to all of us to just think about the ways that we're talking about love being a solution in our day-to-day problems or our day-to-day challenges. Nobody in any of my emails ever says, do you know what, how we're going to solve that problem is loving one another. (laughs) But I think that oftentimes that is the case. And I think that's implied by such and such action plan. Maybe we should double down and talk more about how acceptance and love is something that we're working towards rather than that being bare in some tertiary list of a company's values really put love and acceptance at the beginning. Now, uh, as well as love and acceptance, do you also uh, mean uh, empathy as well? I do and I don't. I think that they're different. Uh, I'm a high empath. <laughs> like I definitely feel that stomach ache you've got right now. Like I, like I, I feel for other people all the time. <laughs> they know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I forgot the question. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, um, is is empathy? You know, uh, when we're talking about solutions and um, whether whether again it's uh, you know whatever thing that we need to change about ourselves and the world is empathy part of that ten bullet point uh, thing of things that we need to address and hopefully use. I'm I'm interested in empathy as a concept. Uh, I recently read Judith Orloff's uh, The Empath Survival Guide because it can feel overwhelming to to relate to one another on a daily basis. Uh, it can feel limitless uh, to really um, experience other people's emotional values. And, and in my work as a this needs to be a spinoff of uh, fear, <laughs> fear of science. Yeah, the, definitely the the, the empathy uh, the empathy tapes or the empathy <laughs> yeah. stories. I'm just gonna uh, listen to this episode and just write down. All the <laughs> <Yeah. other. laughs> uh, but uh, so in it, she she talks about the ways that when we're when we're moving through life on a daily basis, we have all sorts of opportunities to either open that gate or close that gate and oftentimes our first impulse is to close the gate to other people's feelings right Uh, we make that decision every time we talk to somebody at the bank or A&W when you're getting a beyond burger on the sky train (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. public transit going to an unnamed suburb (laughs) (laughs) it can be difficult to feel everything for everybody in my work I as a brand strategist am constantly reaching across the client line to feel what my clients are feeling about their organizations about their work about their values and it's exhausting because I I don't feel lots of these things myself but my job is to feel them 
And I think that every one of us in this room and everybody listening, in some way, your job is to feel for other people as well. But nobody timesheets that. And nobody writes down at the beginning of their day that one of their to-dos is to relate to somebody. But maybe that's a nice place to start. Wish I could add that as a billable uh, item <laughs> as a freelancer. Yeah. I understood your feelings yeah. for one hour. Yeah. <laughs> it takes three hours to understand feelings. Oh, obviously. <laughs> Something that I feel compelled to bring up hmm. is just that I think when I speak about the strategy of loving people and like trying to understand their perspective or like caring about them so that it feels their struggle feels personal is that I also think that is a very privileged place to be in. Mm -hmm. I have to acknowledge and I'm I'm going to be terrible because I unlike you Parker who oh my god tonight all the all the names and all the references to books and everything I'm <laughs> amazed by um I was at a conference once where I heard someone speak about their experiences um, in being in a crowd in which they as a queer trans woman of color experienced like Nazis mm -hmm. and what that experience is like. And they're like, in that moment where someone is looking at me and they don't see me as a human being and they are threatening my life, my response is not hug them, kiss them, tell them I love them. Mm -hmm. In that moment, my anger right. is valid. Mm. And I think anger is so valid. Mm -hmm. yeah. <sighs> that's very true. Stevie, that's such a wonderful thing to bring up. I'm so happy you did. Because I think that anger is a really important layer of any kind of empathy and any kind of emotional relating. Mm -hmm. I'm a survivor of sexual assault. And my counselor had to tell me that anger is actually a really important thing to express. Mm -hmm. And so I went out to the freighters in uh, Vancouver Harbor and just swore at them for an hour. <laughs> and it felt really nice, actually. Yeah. I like, rode the boat out there. And, what did and, the yeah, freighters do? Yeah, they just bobbed and <laughs> whatever. They, they did what freighters do. But I think that anger is a really nice way of, of delineating boundaries between who is right now holding the empathy hat and who is not. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really important uh, distribution of power to identify in any context. Because mm -hmm. to your point, being open with your heart and relating to one person a day and then and, and reading books about empathy is absolutely intersectioning mm -hmm. with my own privilege set. Mm -hmm. Maybe sometimes the first thing you need, one of the things you need to put on your to-do list is, what am I going to get angry about today? Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I feel all the feelings. Yeah, <laughs> but you, feeling new feelings always feels like change. And, and this episode yeah. is about the fear of change. And I think that that's such an interesting place to end up in this time together is that like feeling something new can feel really radical and, mm -hmm. and really vulnerable. Okay. And, and I hate it. <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. I hate it. Yeah. Well, but that's the work. And I think that's how we show up as everyday heroes, to borrow from Rebecca Solnit. Like, like every day when we relate to one another, we're enacting heroism. Yeah. And it's no longer Achilles with a heel. And it's no longer somebody marching in and saving a city. It's us showing up fully in our everyday lives that is heroism. Yeah. And I think that's an absolutely beautiful way to wrap up this episode. <laughs> I agree. Um, 
Normally I do uh, the hashtag of whatever the subject is and we'll talk about that. But honestly, I didn't even research. When did that, so <laughs> I didn't even know where to start. Yeah. So we're just going to skip over that altogether. Wow. And I just want to thank both of you for being on the episode. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I feel like, um, you know, as this series progresses and as we have uh, uh, other conversations, I look forward to uh, being like, I'm already feeling bit changed just in terms of how I think about this concept of change mm-hmm. and and so many things Jeff I didn't want to I didn't want to grow today it's <laughs> a fun conversation but yeah. nope to, oh wow you shouldn't be a host of the yeah. podcast <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those days I just stagnation just a little bit but nope uh, I, I feel like I learned a lot so thank you both now uh, for our listeners who are interested in learning more about you where can they find you do you have a website social media etc mm. I can be found on Instagram at parker.mclean uh, I don't use many other social channels because I think that representing yourself with one is the way to do it. Oh, that is that is from a brand strategist. So, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I am not on any social media oh. platforms. X. Uh, does LinkedIn count? <laughs> does LinkedIn ever count? I don't know. Well, come find me, Stevie Tuyen Nguyen, or just email me, Stevie at allpurpose.io. Great. Wow. Um, And uh, for myself, you can uh, find me and Jeff through the Fear of Science uh, social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Science Fears. And we have lots more uh, great uh, episodes coming up throughout the fall and winter. So please stay tuned. Yeah. And thank you for listening.